Welcome to Table Life Church. Whether this is your first time with us, your first time in a long time, your first time ever, or you're back somewhere in the middle there, we are glad that you're here. And, um, and hopefully you survived the storm of the century last night. If it hit you with that hail, I don't know if anybody got hit in the head with that kind of thing here in central Pennsylvania. We had a very interesting uh, storm. Some people got it, some people didn't. Very, very strange. But tis summer, right? Almost official, right? Um, but welcome. Um, I'm Pastor Chris. It's great to be with you today. And um, I wanted to start out our time together um, with the message today um, with a little bit of fun stuff, a little flashback for you. And um, what we are going to do is travel back to 1975. I was not born yet. Um, some people were not born yet, but that's okay. Even if you were not born yet, you might relate to a special song that uh, if you grew up at all watching Sesame Street, I know some of our graduates, some of those of us that maybe weren't born then, you know, maybe can relate to this. But um, if you grew up watching Sesame Street, who, who knows Sesame Street, like the characters? At least like there's Sesame Place out towards Philadelphia, you visit with the littles and that kind of thing. So Sesame Street, there was this little jingle, this little jingle, this little song that came up periodically to teach you about differences. And it goes like this. I'm going to encourage you to sing along with the little 30-second video that we got here. Okay, ready, set. You're going to play that for us. Summer mode. One of these things is not, not like, like the other. Things. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like, like the, the other? By the time I finish this song. Which one is it? Can you tell? Oh my goodness. Okay, it is our hat. If you didn't get that right, I'll have to see you after the service. We'll have to have a little talk there, so that's okay. But, but anyway, uh, yeah, one of those things is not like the other one of those things doesn't belong. Well, along that line, those lines, um, I want to share with you a couple of things, too, that um, go along those lines that is not like the other. Can you find which one is not like the other? Do you see the living cat? Oh, wait, back up to the cat, the, the one all the way on the, the right side there. It's a living animal. Yeah, yeah, fits right in. Okay, what about the next one? It's a little bit hard to see. So it says, dog wall, bring a photo of your dog, get a dollar off your purchase. Do you see which one? It's Snoop, it's Snoop. That's Snoop Dog, right? He fits. Some, yeah, I know. Come on, don't be a hater, right? Okay, let's go to the next one. How do I convert to? Google that. PDF. Who's ever Googled that? You know, don't, don't worry. Sorry. Okay, we've had, we had some hands going up. Yeah, you might go uh, Jewish or convert to Islam, Catholicism. You might also convert to PDF. Who knew? There's a new religion there. And what about, I think, the last one? Do you see the one that doesn't belong? Paint night, right? You bring your friends to paint night. And what does the one friend do, the one guy? Batman. He's right in the center. Batman, he's supposed to be painting the seen and he did not follow the directions. But anyway, so just to, along those lines, we're, we're starting this new sermon series that's called Different, if you kind of catch along those lines there. So we're going to look at the book of First Peter, the book of First Peter in the New Testament. So it's a letter um, that we're going to get into, and we're going to see how followers of Jesus are called to be different. 
are called to be different. And so that makes sense. So if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, know that you belong here and you can kind of listen in and see like, why are these people so weird, right? That's a good question to ask. Um, but if you have an older sibling, you probably understand this, this, the drive to be different. Who here has an older sibling? Those of you guys online has an older sibling, right? What did you do to be different than your older sibling? Maybe, maybe you took part in different activities. Maybe you got your hair dyed or you wore different clothing or you took a different course in life or maybe went to a different school just because of that. You tried to differentiate yourself. But, but the thing is, there, there's a difference between being different for difference sake and being truly different. Right? We can all kind of be different just for the sake of being different, to say, I want to stand out from the crowd. And the, you know, but there's a difference there. There's a difference between being different just for difference sake and being truly different. And the way you can tell this is through two things. Usually the, the test of time. As time goes on, does that, that difference does that endure? But also through difficulty. Through difficulty, when that difference comes uh, upon something that challenges it, you can tell those things. And so followers of Jesus are called to be different in, in many things. Um, often when we face problems, we believe that God can use them. God doesn't necessarily cause them, but that God can use them. Um, we, we would say that when people hate you, that you should love them, oh, right? Isn't that crazy? Totally, totally different. Um, that our difference though, is rooted in our identity. It's rooted in something deep inside of us. It's rooted in our identity. And I would dare to say this, that who you are is probably the strongest thing in, in life that's a part of you. Who you are determines what you do. Who you are is what determines what you do. So far we go to oh, the doing a lot, but, but who you are will often determine what you do in situations, often things that are beyond your control. So question to start out for you today that's up on the screen there. So who are you? Who are you? If somebody asks you that, who are you? What would you immediately go to? Is it what the, the activities you're involved in or your work or your family or your background or where you're from or what team you root for? I don't know. But who are you? And then the second question, does Jesus make a difference? Does Jesus make a difference in answering that, who are you? Well, what's interesting is that identity is actually where the letter of, the, of First Peter starts off. And the very first line, very first verse, First Peter 1.1 1, 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and you'll notice this, that any letter that's written in the Bible, any letter that's written in the New Testament scriptures, um, they always begin with like, I, Peter, or I, Paul. And that's because they had to identify themselves. They were noteworthy. They had to bring that out. And so Peter, the apostle, is the author. Peter is the author. And Peter um, is actually one of the followers of Jesus. If we go back to the, the gospel stories about the stories of Jesus's ministry, Peter's the author. And, and for many times, Peter often gets a bad rap in the scriptures, in his own story. He's often called an uneducated fisherman. Maybe you've talked about him in that way or heard that in a Bible study before. But, but the most important thing is that Peter starts off his letter identifying himself because it's important because he, he went with Jesus. He followed Jesus. He rolled with Jesus, right? He has identity as an apostle. Apostle means a sent one, a messenger, someone who is sent out, 
sent out from Jesus. So it's important for him to say right at the beginning, like basically don't throw out this letter. <laughs> don't throw out this piece of mail. Put it to the top. Uh, and, and Peter's story is really a bunch of contradictions in and of itself. He was not a perfect person. Um, the scholar and theologian A.W. Tozer says, Peter was a bundle of contradictions, truthfully. And that's true. That's true. It's many times for us as well, right? So Peter, we back up in his story. He was the first to confess Jesus as the Messiah, but then he was also the first to deny Jesus. Like both of these, right, in his story. Jesus gave him the name The Rock, Really, truthfully, he was the original rock, you know, back up 2,000 years ago. He was the original rock as, as Peter, as Cephas, the rock, I'm going to build my church. And then five minutes later, you know what Jesus calls him? Satan. He calls him Satan. He goes from being the rock that Jesus is going to build his church on to being the devil, right? Like, he disappointed Jesus, but then he was disappointed by Jesus. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Peter could not deny that Jesus had risen, he met him face to face after the resurrection. And he, he comes back to Jesus. And last week we celebrated the, the celebration of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy, Holy Spirit. And Peter was in that room when that happened. And, and because of that, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's presence with us, um, Peter spent the rest of his life preaching the good news about Jesus to the rest of the world. He spent the rest of his life preaching the good news about Jesus, even to the point that it cost him everything. It cost him his entire life, his whole life. And this is in, in history, folks. Eventually, eventually, Peter was martyred just a couple years after he wrote this letter of 1 Peter. He was martyred. He was killed in Rome in 67 AD. And the story goes that he was, he chose to be, well, he was crucified and he chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the exact same way as Jesus, his savior. This is in the history books. That's what happened to him. So this, this letter was written by a leader of someone who had been with Jesus. So you have to imagine, of course, it goes to the top of the mail pile. It takes the priority, gets a little star in the messages, Identity is where the letter starts off. But then we have the identity of who it was written to. Always have to ask the question, who is this written to? And we have to understand, going back to our Bible study series on the Bible, letters are, are, are not just written to people, but they're written for us. Letters were not just written to people of a certain time period, but they're also written to us, that there's truths that come out to speak to us. So 1 Peter, the beginning um, continues in verses 1 to 2. So Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's identifying himself, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. So he starts off his letter. So who is this written for? Well, it's written to five churches, five church gatherings, five church regions. We have in part, all part of like Asia Minor, like the whole region around Turkey, modern day Turkey around today. It was all part of the Holy, the, not the Holy, the Roman Empire at the time that the Romans had taken over, and these were all occupied regions. The Romans had taken control. 
So we see that Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. These are regions. These are five different sets of churches that he's writing to. But Peter starts off his letter in this, this first part of this letter. He starts off the letter really with what I think is a reminder of their identity. Reminder of their identity. And we're going to walk through some of the things that he says right here. So the first being, it's a reminder that they're chosen. Go back to that, that scripture there. Who have been chosen? Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father? It's interesting. The first thing that Peter says, he doesn't address their social status. He doesn't address their moral background. He doesn't address their poverty, poverty or their wealth. He doesn't address where they've been or where they've come from. He addresses, he addresses them as God's elect. The, the Greek word there is electos, mainly, mainly meaning not just like election. You know, we think of elect as, oh, well, you were elected, you were voted on, right? It actually means chosen by God for a special service. That's what that means, that these are, you're chosen. I mean, think about that. So think about your own story, your own experience. Have you ever been chosen for something? You ever been chosen for something? I don't know what it is, maybe in school or maybe at work or maybe you're part of a sports team or a group and you're leading a solo. I, I, like, what was that feeling that came upon you, right? Like, like, oh my gosh, wow. Like, I was chosen. Like, I was selected. Like, I have a special service. I have something special to do here. And that's, I believe, what, what Peter is trying to communicate to these followers of Jesus. And we'll get to the reason why in just a little bit. But he, he's communicating that you've been chosen to say, wow, you've been chosen by God. By God, our creator, right? Who, who has done all of so marvelous things. He's chosen you. And of course, it makes, us, makes you feel proud, right? I believe it would make them feel proud. But in order to level that out, what does Peter do? Well, he says, you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, thanksifying works of the Spirit. Be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace in yours in abundance. But right before that, he says, exiles. Exiles or sojourners, whichever translation you want to read. He calls them, he reminds them that part of your identity, though, is you are exiles. You are sojourners. The Greek word here is paradipodismos, and, and that translation that differs on what Bible version you're reading, I printed some of those in your, um, in your notes there. It can be exiles, foreigners, aliens, right? You're an alien, um, strangers. You know, in other words, Peter's saying, though, yes, you're chosen, but don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable because all Christians, all followers of Jesus will live a strange double life. Do you know anybody that has, um, has their citizenship in two different places, right? They're a citizen of this country, a citizen of that country. They, they have their, their visas. They have everything that they can go back and forth with passports and whatnot. He's saying that all Christians live a strange double residence, a strange double life that you're not really residing anywhere. Simultaneously, you're residing in those locations that he pointed out. But he's also saying, but you're also citizens of God's new world. God's new world that started at the coming of Jesus, and eventually one day he will make right and come to completion. But in the meantime, don't get too comfortable. Don't focus. Be different. Don't focus on the things that many people around you are just going to be focused on of things of this world and this life, because you're a sojourner. 
You're a traveler. And what's the, you know, the saying that goes, especially when you're going on vacation? Travel light. Don't pack the 10 suitcases. Pack the one, right? Because it's just a reminder when you're going away. But travel light. You're a sojourner. You're a sojourner. But then he, he also uses that word right after sojourner, exile. He says, to God's elect, exiles scattered. Scattered. You're chosen, you're sojourner, you're scattered. Have you ever felt scattered? I mean, deep inside you're saying, that was my month of May, right? Especially you parents, you're like, that was my month last month, right? But, but have, you, have you ever felt scattered? I mean, even like, like at work or in school or, or wherever you are, like you, maybe you felt like, you know, am I the only one that believes in Jesus here? Am I the only one that goes to church? Like, and, you, and, you know, many times it's not likely not the case, but many times you, you feel that. You feel like you, you've been scattered and you, you're kind of like looking around and it seems like everybody's doing their own thing that way, right? You feel scattered. But he's telling them actually it, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because you know what? It's no good if Christians are always gathered. It's no good. It's no good if we're always gathered. Because when we all gather, when we only gather, you know what happens? We get into fights. When the only thing you do is gather and you're never scattered and you're only together, you know, think, remember, remember slumber parties growing up? Remember slumber parties? You know what happened the morning after the slumber party? You like hated your best friend. It's true. You spent too much time together. You're like, it's good for a couple hours, but after that, the same thing happens with Christians. When the only thing we do is gather, we just get into fights and you would believe this and I hate that. So, no, but the mission here is to be scattered. If you're not scattering, there's something going wrong. Too much time together means that we start like hating each other. We get into problems and, and we lose our sense of what God's calling. And that means to be scattered. And we're scattered because the world needs light in dark corners. We're scattered on purpose. We're scattered, you know, if you've ever, if, and if there ever was a dark corner in the world, well, I hate to tell you guys, it happened in 65 AD. It happened in 65 AD. These people reading this would have owned this, would have understood this, because it's important for us to understand what was happening to the people at this time that Peter was writing this. So letter, once again, is written about 65 AD, so you think about 35 years after Jesus, and it, and it, was, it was written during the reign of a corrupt emperor named Nero. Once again, this region of the world was under Roman occupation, guy named Nero, not Robert De Niro, no connection, no relation, but, but Nero. And let me paint a little picture of this dude. So first off, he killed his mama. He murdered his mama. Then he murdered his first wife. Then he murdered his second wife, right? This sounds like a Netflix documentary, right? But, but it's so, it was so twisted and, and that, that it was actually, it's actually believed that Nero himself, the emperor, burned the city of Rome to the ground. And you're like, what? Like he killed all these people, but then he like burned the city down. Like what's with that? Well, in July 64 AD, so just a year before this letter was written, a big fire broke out in the city of Rome and it burned six days. And then it was put out, but then it was reignited and then it burned another three days. So think about nine days of fire. And it was believed that Nero, looking back, we believe that Nero started the fire. You know why? Because he had this insatiable lust to build things. Like, we're not just talking Legos. He liked to build big structures to show how big and powerful that he was. But guess what? The Senate wouldn't let him. So he got mad. 
He threw a little fit there and decided he was going to burn everything to the ground because you know what that would give him permission to do? To build again. Like he was reasoning that out. But, but he did that. And the thing is, the whole thing, of course, was a mess. And it didn't go over well. People lost their lives and homes, all these structures. And people started to blame him, especially those that were in the Senate at the time. And so what he did, what we often do, instead of taking ownership for it, we blame somebody else. And who did he blame? The Christians. He blamed the Christians. He blamed this, very, this little group of very passionate, already hated people called Christians that believed in this and were following this resurrected Jesus And this group was already persecuted, and then they began to be persecuted even more, even more. Imagine, this guy's crazy, right? So he's he's blaming them for this. And Nero, he took it under his own authority and control to take Christians into prison. And one of his practices was he would take animal skins. It's kind of gory, so shut your ears if you don't want to hear. But he, he put animal skins on Christians. He locked them in a cage, and then he unleashed wild dogs on them in the cage and then had parties around that to watch them being mauled and destroyed. That was like a pastime, right? Well, you didn't have to watch anything. He just allowed that happen. He also had this thing called um, human candles. This is really yucky. Um, he would dip people in hot wax, let, put them on a tree, and then he would light them on fire, and he would line them up along the streets Human candles. He would throw parties around it. This guy was brutal. He was crazy. All, think about all this destruction that was happening. And, and Peter, the Apostle Peter, he actually saw his friend Paul, the Apostle Paul, put to death under Nero. Peter himself. Peter himself would die under Nero's rule. But Peter, at this point, he's writing to those who are hurting to who those who are experiencing trials, to those who are feeling scattered and feeling the weight of the world, who feel like it's an impossible task, that it's only one day that they're going to be a Roman candle that's going to be lit on fire, right? And he's reminding them, though. He's reminding them of their identity, of their identity. Hold on to that. That's one thing that, that nobody can take away. Nero can't take away. No Roman can take away. Your identity is to be different, to be different that I think this goes for us too that life may seem to be defined by fear or grief or or news or anger and all of that can lead to very expected worldly responses and outcomes but Peter's drawing them back and he draws us back because what you do how you respond comes from who you are comes from who you are and he's saying don't forget that Don't forget who you are. You're chosen. You're a sojourner. You're you're scattered. And it's that response of continued obedience he's calling them to, to say, don't give up on this, guys. Don't give up. Don't turn your back. And he calls them to be reminded of what Jesus did, of how Jesus suffered. And he continues in verses 3 to 5. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Points back to Jesus. He says, in his great mercy... He's given us, underline that, given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And also an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. No Nero is going to steal that from you. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. So he continues that definition of identity calling them really in this section recipients. 
that they're recipients. And, and it's a really important thing to recognize what you're a recipient of. Um, a number of weeks ago, I got together with some friends and were, was playing some um, video games, some old school video games. We're doing like flashback Sunday here today, I guess. But old school video games from like the 80s, like Super Mario Brothers. Anybody ever play Super Smash Brothers? This was the original version of that. So Super Smash Brothers is like you pick a character in the Mario world and then you like fight fight and battle each other. And sometimes you can like get multiple people involved and it's super fun. So we got together, we're playing this and, um, and there's one point that you can have like three players if you have enough controllers or four players, you can kind of keep adding people. And um, I, who have not played a video game and probably like... 10 years or so, I hate to confess that, but um, I pick up the controller and I'm like, who am I, right? And I'm happy that there's those little 1P, 2P, like there, tell you one player, two player, but the thing is, I didn't know which one I was. So I'm like, who am I? And the thing is, in Super Smash Brothers, it really matters who you are, because each character, each person that is a part of the game has special gifts has special gifts. So, so Luigi can jump super high, you know, Mario is, is fast, and you have like a princess who can like fly and do all these things. It matters who you are. It matters what gifts you have. And going back to the scripture, it matters that you're a recipient, that you've been given gifts. <clears throat> and he says, first, you're a recipient first of a new life, of a new life, that we believe that when you trust in Jesus, Something supernatural happens that can be only compared to birth. Some people use the words being born again. Uh, Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've seen that happen in someone else's life. Maybe you know somebody that you're like, what happened to you, right? That there's this this change, this transformation of, of kind of rebirth that happens, that takes place. And it's not exactly like birth. Have you ever been present at the birth of, of maybe your, your spouse or maybe you gave birth before? Like it can be a really messy, messy, crazy thing. And it's not exactly like that, but it's like something new is born inside of you. But it's only possible because of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, who overcame death, that he anchors new life in resurrection that we can experience new life because of what Jesus opening the door to us for that. It's a gift of a new life. And he's saying, remember, you're recipients of a new life. So no matter what anybody does in this life, know that nobody can take that away from you. But then he goes on and says, but you're also a recipient of a living hope. A living hope. You kind of put this way, our hope is, is not dead. Our hope is never dead. Hope never dies because Jesus is not dead. So no matter what we face, no matter what persecution, problems, situations, diagnoses, whatever it is, our hope does not die. The the scholar N.T. Wright says it like this. He says, becoming a Christian means that what God did for us at Easter, he does for you in the very depth of your being. He does for you in the very depth of your being. It's a living hope. But then you're also a recipient, new life, living hope, but also an untouchable inheritance, an untouchable inheritance. You know, what, what, what is an inheritance? What's an inheritance? I don't know. What is it? Just shout out. Land. What? Land. land. Okay, yeah, you can get land from somebody. Okay, okay. But generally, what is, what is inheritance? It could be many different things. That's money. So, okay, something somebody passes down to you, right? Something somebody passes down to you. And it, like it's written in a will, 
right? Somebody, maybe you've put one together before and you've written, okay, this is gonna go to so-and-so, this is gonna go to somebody else. And a normal will, though, it's only about belongings, right? It's like, what will I get from Aunt Flo? Like, right, what will I get from Auntie, right? But, but this will that he's talking about is about belonging. It's about having a place to belong, a person to belong to, belonging to a heavenly father. It's an inheritance. And normally, normally too, when there's a will, when there's an inheritance, you know what you are guaranteed? You're guaranteed that you better tiptoe around the person until they die. Or else, you know what happens? You might get written out of the inheritance. I, I don't, I've talked to many, many people. That's actually happened. Somebody got mad. Had, what happened? I thought I was getting the car. No, P. Roach out, right? Gave it to your sister. Oh, you know, that kind of thing. But, but that's the thing. Usually you might, get, you might get written out of the will. But with God, the will doesn't depend on us. The will doesn't de- depend on us and how, how good we are. Because when we're at our, we were at our worst, God wrote us into the will. When we mess up, he keeps his part. See, being a follower of Jesus is the only identity that is received, not achieved. There is no standard. It's not like I do all these good things and then therefore I earn my way. No, it has nothing to do with that because the good question is, where is the standard, right? How good is good enough? The identity is received, not achieved. An inheritance that God gives us this. That God has created a whole new world that that is not in our sight as of now. But one day, he promises the curtain will be drawn back. Heaven will merge with earth and transform it and soak it in God's presence, his love and his mercy as it was fully intended to be. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. It's an amazing thing, but that's where our faith comes in, right? You don't see it. You have to trust it. You have to trust it. It's the anchor that holds us firm in what God has done for us. And isn't it true, though, when someone has been generous to you, doesn't that inspire you to be generous to others? I don't know. Have you ever received a gift, a, surprise, a surprising gift from someone, an unlikely gift, and you received it and you're like, oh my gosh, right? And then the next time that you encountered somebody in need, hopefully what did you do? You responded to that need. Like, that gift of generosity passes on from one person to another. And, and no, there's times in life that people don't deserve grace. They don't deserve mercy. But then we can go back to that and say that we, though, you are a recipient of God's grace and God's mercy. And no, you didn't receive those. You, don't, you didn't deserve those either. So why not pay that forward, right? Either did you. When we see ourselves as recipients of gifts, it changes everything. That's part of our identity. And then he continues in verses six to nine. He says, in all this, you greatly rejoice. What? What? Rejoice? Like the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. Rejoice? But he says, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise Glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, friends, part of our identity as followers of Christ is also to be fruitful. It's also to be fruitful. 
See, here, here is where Peter states the theme that he's going to develop a little bit later in the letter over these next few weeks that we'll get to. That, that what they are going through now will produce good things. Not that God caused it, but will produce good things even from the most bad, the evil, and the ugly. And only God can do that. And he says it will produce first a genuine faith, a genuine faith, a real faith, a rooted faith, a genuine faith. And you think about this, like there, there's, what, you know, it's in order to define something, oftentimes it's good to look at what things are not, right? What would the opposite of a genuine faith be? You say, well, kind of a fake faith, right? Well, I think it, the opposite would be something like an inherited faith. An inherited faith, meaning that your mom was a Methodist, grandpa was Catholic, you're not Muslim, so therefore you must be a follower of Jesus, right? And that's an inherited faith. And I don't think that's a genuine faith. You haven't owned that for yourself or made that decision for yourself. It's not a, a genuine faith. It's not a shallow faith. A shallow faith gets uprooted every single time the wind blows, Something comes across or there's something better to do or engage in, poo, right? You're out the window. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we turn to God when we have nothing else better to do. But then when something else comes along, it's like, okay, well, you go out the window. A genuine faith is not a conditional faith. You know, there's those who say, I believe in Jesus. I love him as long as things go my way. And when they, they don't, Bad things happen, and they say, well, how would God allow that to happen? And I'm turning my back, and I'm going my own way. And that's, that's a conditional faith. You know, our relationships, when they're conditional, they don't work so well. And it's like, only when I get what I want from you. You know, trials, though, can reveal the depth of your faith. They can test it. can also toughen it. I remember um, when I was in high school in, tra in track practice, um, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and, um, and we ran in winter track and spring track, and um, I had some coaches that were like pretty hardcore. They taught me a lot of stuff, and um, they taught me one thing, that it is always important to run in the rain. It's always important to run in the rain. You know why? When you're practicing, you need to run in the rain, because sometimes there's meets and races that are very, very wet and rainy. <laughs> Like, if you don't run in the rain, if you don't practice running in the rain, you won't be ready for the times that you need to run in the rain. And when you need to compete, and when you need to be able to part of that, that the win takes place on the practice field. The win doesn't happen when you just show up to the thing in whatever circumstances. It's the practice field. It's the practice, the day in, the day out, that takes place. A faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith, a faith that grows roots Peter himself had been tested. He failed. He strengthened. He regrouped himself, and he was redeemed and made new by Jesus, and then he was sent out. See, God, God will never waste a hurt or a failure in your life. He will never waste it. He will use it. He will put it to the test. He will always work with it, and that's why it also produces joy, that we're fruitful because this faith produces joy. And we rejoice anyway, worship anyway, praise anyway. When you're facing something, it's like, I can just be drugged down into this and it could be the worst thing. You know, remember who he's writing to. Like he's writing to people whose cousin was just turned into a candle, right? Like terrible. That's how dark it is. But joy and worship is a choice. It's a choice. It's not something we have to wait for till everything is perfect. We can choose it right now. It's not when one day everything is butterflies and rainbows, because we've recognized our relationship to Christ is untouchable. And that, my friends, is a totally countercultural response. Because the world says, you've been wronged, life is terrible, ah, right? 
Just go, huddle in your thing. You're like, no, rejoice. Have joy. And, and the thing is, for all of us, suffering is a guarantee for life. We will suffer in many different ways. We need to name our pain. We need to be specific about our trial, but then remember who we are and allow that to drive how we respond. Our identity always drives our behavior. And Nero couldn't take that away. And neither can the Nero in your life take that away. Whatever that is, whoever that is. So take heart in the difficult days is what he's saying. Go ahead and praise anyway. See, Peter had been through it. These people had been through it. We continue to go through it. But who you are, my friends, will determine what you do. Who you are. Who are you? Who are you? Who you are will determine what you do. What's inside of you? How you identify yourself? Are you a typical teenager? Are you a student? Are you just a 20, 30-something? Are you a retiree? Are you an employee, a boss, a mom, dad, sister, brother, neighbor? Are you a divorcee? Are you just defined by those things or are you different? Do you feel like an exile? Do you feel alone? Do you feel scattered? Well, good. You may be exactly where you need to be. Jesus introduces a brand new way to be human, a brand new way to approach hardship and fatigue and trials and all kinds of pain and relationships and money and our approach to everything we handle because who we are will always determine what we do. See, God doesn't just want us to have life after death. He grants us that. He promises us that. But he also wants us to have life during life too. Let me pray for us.